The parable of the mustard seed. It's one of the smallest of parables, but let me tell you, it grows into one of the biggest interpretive things in the Gospels. And I'll try and make that clear here. So you've probably heard the parable of the mustard seed before. Uh, It's in Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Okay, kind of a small parable. It's like, a, you know, the kingdom of heaven. So the church, if we're taking this interpretation, is like a mustard seed. And it's the smallest of seeds. So it starts in the smallest of ways. Yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of plants, the largest of a bush, and becomes a great tree. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. So here the interpretation would be the kingdom of heaven. So the church, Christianity, it's the smallest of seeds. And then when it grows, it grows into this great tree, and then the birds are meant to represent the nations, which come and perch in its branches. And there's precedent for, obviously, the tree. You have like the dynastic line of David being called uh, Jesse's tree in Isaiah um, 7, Isaiah 9, the stump of Jesse. So dynastic trees are no um, foreign thing for, you know, describing kingdoms. Okay, so great parable. Yay. I guess we're done, right? No, we're not done. All right. (laughs) Matthew 17, we have this really weird story that refers back to the parable. Okay. So Matthew 13, we have this very short parable, mustard seeds going to grow to the grace of trees. It's the kingdom of heaven. Okay. In Matthew 17, verse 14, we have a healing that happens. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why could we not drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, a few points here. We have this man coming up to Jesus saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffering greatly. He falls into the fire or into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Okay, so it's a little weird the fact that he would fall into fire and fall into water, he's having these seizures, like falling into fire, falling into water, like that's very specific. And then we also have that, you know, the man brought him to Jesus's disciples. And remember, Jesus gave to his apostles the ability to cast out demons. But, you know, the disciples couldn't cast out this demon. And all of a sudden, Jesus just goes off. He's like, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now, imagine if you're the man with the son who's demon-possessed and is throwing himself and having seizures and stuff, and you're like, hey, heal my son. And then Jesus says, faithless and perverse generation. You're like, uh, what about my son? You know, <laughs> why, why are you talking about this generation? I'm talking about my son. He's right here. He's demon-possessed. He needs healing. Well, Jesus is obviously drawing a parallel here. So what is he saying? Oh, faithless and unbelieving perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
what he's obviously he's drawing the analogy that this demon possessed boy who's throwing himself into fire into water Jesus is saying this is representative of this evil and perverse generation evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign like the generation that Christ is in is rejecting his word and rejecting his ministry you know as we've seen earlier he says um you know the prophets longed to see my day they saw it and were glad as we see in John's gospel. And yet the people of uh, the Jews are, are not receiving of the faith and not receiving of Christ. So then we have the boy is being brought to Jesus. Jesus rebukes the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. So Jesus is able to cast out the demon from the boy. He's able to cast out the demon from the perverse generation. The disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? So, I mean, the apostles are thinking like, why were we not able to do this? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith as small as a mustard seed. Ah, I wonder where we've heard that before. Oh yeah, Matthew 13, the parable of the mustard seed. So what's faith as small as a mustard seed? Well, what is the parable of the mustard seed proclaiming? That the church, the kingdom of heaven on earth, is going to grow to the greatest of trees and the birds of the air are going to nest in its branches are going to be brought into the church. And this is the mission at the end of Matthew's gospel that that Christ gives to the apostles, go forth and make disciples of all nations, right? I think oftentimes because we're, you know, at least I'm assuming most of us are Americans listening to this, we have such an individualistic view, not only of ourselves, but of society. And I think we miss the fact that like, Christianity is not to make disciples of all individuals primarily, but to make disciples of nations. And historically, that's what's occurred. Like Rome became a disciple of Christ, right? Greece did as well. Um, You know, most of Asia Minor at the time, later on, Hungary and Poland and Germany and France and England and Ireland, they all became the nations became disciples of Christ. So what's the parable of the mustard seed, but saying that the church is going to encompass is going to bring into Christ's universal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, all of these nations and their subordinate kingdoms. Okay, so let's move back. So Jesus is making the analogy with the demon-possessed boy and saying he's often falling into water and fire, which are primordial symbols of chaos, fire and water. And it's demon-possessed that the the generation that Christ is there um, is there has demons that are possessing it and leading it astray from faith. And this is the story of all nations that don't have Christ. You know, when when humanity falls in Adam, all nations in a way are united to the devil and to his demons in this kind of mystical body of Satan. And uh, the corruption of society is these kind of demon possessions that lead us to uh, a kind of chaos and evils. And so the disciples are not able to cast out this demon. Why? Because they don't have faith. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Now, also a weird image, like like you can say to this mountain, you know, like you're going to like point at the Rockies and say, okay, I want you in California now and move over there. Like it, it's a weird image. What is the mountain supposed to represent? Mountains in the Old Testament have always represented kingdoms. And likewise, like capital cities are often built on high hills. So Jerusalem's built on Mount Zion. 
true pole of the earth, as we read in Psalm 48. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. And in Isaiah 2, we also say, we hear the word which Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Finally, we have Daniel's prophecies in Daniel 2. So I'm going to do a little aside with Daniel 2. We have Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and this is in Babylon at the time. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has a dream, and he commands that all of his magicians, his sorcerers, and everyone uh, interpret his dream. But there's a catch. Uh, He doesn't tell them what the dream is. (laughs) So they're, you know, the king summoned them and said, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled by the dream. And the Chaldeans, the Babylonians said to the king, oh, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show forth the interpretation. And the king's like, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You're going to tell me the dream and the interpretation. That's how I know you're not just, you know, making it up. (laughs) And so none of the sorcerers, they don't know what his dream is, so they can't interpret it. But Daniel is called and he prays to God, you know, to, to know what the dream is and then interprets it. So Daniel answered the king, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery which the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was hewn by no human hand, and it smote the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and all the gold were together broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried him away. But the small stone hewn from the rock that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel gives the interpretation of the green, uh, the dream that the four different alloys that you know made up this, this uh, kingdom, you had the head of gold, the breast and the arms of uh, iron, you had the belly of bronze, and then you have the uh, iron and clay being made out of the feet. And so these are going to be four kingdoms that are going to come up. Um, And then eventually a stone is going to be cut from a mountain by no human hand and breaks all of those kingdoms. So what is that stone? And and, and then what happens to the stone? It becomes the greatest mountain that fills the whole earth. So the interpretation is the four empires that are going to rise. And I I did my earlier, the son of man, Daniel's prophecies in Daniel 7 is the same prophetic image just used differently, which with different beasts instead of this one kind of conglomerate iron gold type of thing. And the four empires, just to recap, are the Babylonian Empire, uh, uh, sorry, the Assyrian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the 
Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire, but now we have the stone hewn from the rock that becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. So these four, these excuse me, these three prophecies, first of all, a few points to be garnered from it. Psalm 48, mountains are meant to represent kingdoms. And specifically the Mount, Mount Zion, true pole of the earth, is God's holy mountain. Um the mountain, you know, from the mountain shall go forth the law. You know, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Um, and then we have, you know, the Mount of Beatitudes. You have the Mount of Transfiguration that God, that, that Christ is using mountains in the gospel and the Old Testament uses mountains to represent kingdoms. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, right? So a city set on a mountain. So Psalm 48 shows that the mountain of the Lord is the one which he is coming to establish his universal kingdom. Isaiah 2 is also prophesying that in the later days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of mountains and all the nations shall flow to it. And if you remember Mount Zion, true pole of the earth with David's kingdom, you have the queen of Sheba coming all the way from Ethiopia to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And you have the nation streaming to Mount Zion. So what Isaiah is prophesying is in the later days, the church, the, the true mountain, the kingdom of heaven, is going to be that mountain which all the nations stream to. You know, and this was prophesied with, with the Davidic kingdom. And then with Daniel 2, we have the stone hewn from the rock is what breaks all these empires that have come up in the ancient world and eventually becomes the great mountain that fills the whole world. Go back to Matthew 13, we have this, the mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds, but it grows to the largest of trees so that all the birds come and perch in its branches. Then when we come to Matthew 17, I know this is like a, a whirlwind of lots of information, but when we come to Matthew 17, we have Jesus saying, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So if you remember, if you have faith that the church will become the greatest of trees, the great kingdom that all the nations will participate in, that they'll, they'll rest in the branches in the peace of Christ. That the dominion of Satan and his dominion over the kingdoms of the world are going to be overcome by Christ and his kingdom. And if the disciples, if the apostles, if the church herself has faith that this will be accomplished, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So the word of the apostles is powerful enough to say to kingdoms, move from here to there. What does that mean? You know, like one thinks of Augustine of Canterbury or um, St. Boniface. You know, St. Boniface is sent by the Pope to Germany, and, you know, they're still worshiping Thor the uh the the god of thunder and there's this great oak tree there that that uh is representative of this pagan god and what does boniface do but he shows up brings an axe and he cuts down their tree and all these germanic barbarian peoples are looking at boniface ready for him to get struck you know from heaven by lightning by thor and it doesn't happen you know <laughs> and uh so he's able to say by the word of his mouth by the truth proclamation of the gospel he's able to undo the kingdoms of darkness and bring, you know, the nation of Germany into, you know, it's not like a nation at that point, but the peoples there into the kingdom of heaven. Now this gets picked up. So this is in Matthew 17, where Jesus is still, you know, in Galilee. 
Interesting, interestingly, in Mark 11, in Mark 11, so I'm skipping from Matthew to Mark here, um, we have another uh, moment of say to this mountain. So I want you to keep, you know, if you're trying to like stay, <laughs> you know, what have we brought so far? Matthew 13, which is the parable of the mustard seed. Matthew 17, which we have the demon-possessed boy representing representing uh, faithless Israel and faithless Judah. And they can be cast out if you have faith that the church will be the greatest. Uh, if you have faith in a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, say to kingdoms that are resisting the gospel, move from here to there and it'll be done for you. And that's in Matthew 17 while he's still in Galilee. When he moves to Jerusalem in Mark 11, Mark 11, verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. At this point, Jesus is in Jerusalem. This is right before his passion. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And if you remember, this is when Christ uh, curses a fig tree and says, you know, he goes to the fig tree and is looking for figs and there are no figs there. And he curses the fig tree. And it's supposed to be representative of faithless Jerusalem rejecting Christ, that there's no fruits befitting repentance. So they're going to be destroyed, which is fulfilled in 70 AD. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, and remember, they're in Jerusalem, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. The stakes have been raised. <laughs> Whereas before in Matthew 17, you know, you have the unbelieving and perverse generation. If you're having faith that the church will will bring all the nations into her fold, into the kingdom of heaven. If you believe in the power of the gospel, you can say to this mountain, you can say to kingdoms that oppress the gospel, move from here to there and it'll be done for you. You just have to have faith that it will occur and then, you know, uh, preach the gospel. But now in Mark 11, we have say to this mountain, but it's not say to this mountain, move from here to there. It's say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and it'll be done for you. All right. So a lot of things going on. If you say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll be done for you. The idea is you can look at a kingdom and say, you need to be converted and you need to move this mountain from here to there and it'll be done for you. That the apostles by their word given through Christ can accomplish this. But now in Mark 11, Jerusalem has proved itself so wicked that they're they're looking to destroy Christ, that now you can say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and it'll be done for you. That the apostles by their word, you know, if the nation won't receive them, if they've tried to preach the gospel and they've been rejected, they can call for the destruction of that kingdom. They can call for the judgment of God to come upon it. I, you know, a lot here. I want to summarize one more time because I feel like we've done a lot. Uh, the mustard seed image is believing that the church will fill all the nations, that the nations will come and rest in its branches. If there's a mountain, a kingdom that is oppressing the people of Christ and won't repent, um, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And if they're still obstinate, then the apostles by their word can pray for its destruction. 
and its replacement by a kingdom that will accept Christ. To me, this is the gospel message at like full blast. This is like, you know, you got the subwoofer in the back, you got all the speakers lined up, you got 17 Bose speakers in your souped up, you know, Honda Civic, and you hit the play button and just everything's crashing around you. It's like, this is such a powerful image of the mustard seed. And it's such a powerful image that the apostles, by their word, the gospel message, what Christ is saying is, my power, that there's no kingdom that's going to be able to stand in your way. If you really have faith that I can do this, I'm going to do it. There's no kingdom. We, we can even look at America. We can look at Russia. We can look at countries that are oppressing Christ, like, like China and other things in our day. And it's like we don't realize as Christians that we can unleash the power of Christ, not only to move nations and preach the gospel to them, but even bring about their, their final end, their destruction. You know, the, the empires that are going to oppress Christ and his church are going to fade away. The only one that's going to remain is the kingdom of heaven. It's the only thing that's going to remain. And I think it's, a, you know, people talk about the crisis of faith and all this type of stuff. It's like, uh, it's like Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament when they read the books of the law and they realize, oh my goodness, there's so much here and we're missing it. You know, <laughs> when, I, when I look at this parable, and the, the parable of the mustard seed, and then I look what Jesus says about if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there. I'm just struck by the power of the gospel message to move kingdoms. And if we really had that faith, if we really had the faith to unleash the power of Christ, the power of Mary, in the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things, I mean, what all the nations could come into the great tree that is the kingdom of heaven. So this is a bit of a longer one. This is a, a very passionate um, episode for me. I, I remember when I read this for the first time and started making the connections, it just blew me away. But this is the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. And... Um, we're sitting on mountains of gold and we don't know it. My mentor, Dr. Han was just, uh, he said a, a good way to un- uh, describe us Catholics as spoiled brats. And uh, <laughs> sometimes he, he regretted it later on, but I actually kind of liked it. I feel like we're spoiled brats. We're sitting on the, the great wealth of the gospel and we spend most of our days complaining about current contemporary politics, right and left. We don't understand that the gospel has power to move kingdoms. So yeah, I'm passionate about this stuff and I I think it's the gospel message and um, have faith and you can move mountains. We'll see you in the next one.